Listen, Satan has his reign of terror. And it is so huge that lets you forget that he absolutely hates you. You will yield to some of his work. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in Revelation chapter 12 this week, looking at a war between the angels of heaven and the demonic angels of hell that is outlined in verses 7 to 10. Much of our time has been focused on getting a better understanding of who and what Satan really is. And we find a considerable bit of his means and motives outlined in Ezekiel chapter 28, which is where we pick up today as Dr. Brogy talks about the rebellion of one-third of the angels of heaven that took place before the creation of man and which was spearheaded by Satan, also known as Lucifer, the angel of light. Someone called on the Bible line not long ago and they said, do we know how many angels there are? And my response was, well, I can't give an exact number, but I can tell you right now there's a lot. Do you remember when we were back in Revelation 5 and verse 11? I know it seemed ages ago, but let me dust off your mind. John writes, then I looked. He's talking about the throne room of God. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. This verse says myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Do you remember? That's the same description of the throne room that Daniel gives in Daniel chapter 7. Let me read it to you. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were open. Now, the word myriad is kind of like the word tithe in both Hebrew and Greek. It's a mathematical term, just like a tithe literally means a tenth. The word myriad is a Greek and Hebrew mathematical term that in both languages means 10,000. And so the King James and the ESV interpret it. They say, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, and the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And of course, the number given in verse 11 is even larger because beyond the myriads and myriads, there were thousands of thousands. So the word myriad means 10,000. And understand, too, that unlike we have the word trillion and million and billion and I don't know how far they go, quadzillion or whatever. And, but the largest unit, mathematical unit in the ancient world was a myriad or 10,000. And when you wanted to describe as in many pieces of literature outside of the Bible that I read this week, you wanted to describe a number that was just beyond count, being able to count. You said myriads upon myriads. So if you just take it literally, 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. That's a pretty big number. And then you have thousands upon thousands in addition to them. And this is just the throne room of God, remember. In addition, you have all those angels that are out on duty, holy angels, we'll look at some in just a moment, 
who are out waging war against fallen angels. Then beyond those angels that are out in spiritual battle, some are here today, the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians 11, they're watching us worship. You know that? You're being watched this morning. You ought to pay attention. You ought to be good now. They're learning from us, the Bible says. The congregation is a lot bigger than you realize today. Add to that, Matthew says, Jesus speaking, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. People sometimes say, do children have a guardian angel? The answer is no. They have guardian angels. They have more than one angel. Of course, they need them, some of these kids. Look, if there's 1.9 billion children on the earth, and that's what we're told, and each have at least two, then you have all the angels who are at warfare, the heavenly places, and all those in the throne room. What I'm trying to say is myriads upon myriads is an impossible number to count. And out of this incredible number, the revelation reveals to us that one-third of the angels of God rebelled against the Lord God. Now, with all that said, with hundreds of millions of angels, only four are named in the Word of God. One that we're reading today in our text, Michael. He appears at least five times in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, in the book of Jude, and then, of course, here in the Revelation. Then, of course, there's Lucifer, and he has two names, his pre-fall name, Lucifer, and his post-fall name, Satan, along with a number of other titles. Then, of course, beyond that, there's Gabriel, one of the holy angels of God. He's named at least four times in the Bible, in the book of Daniel and the Gospel of Luke. So two holy angels, and then there are two fallen angels, Lucifer slash Satan, and one that we've already studied in Revelation chapter 9, the angel Abaddon or of Paul, and he gives us both the Hebrew and Greek name. So here's Michael, El, God, of course. Who is like God? What a great name that God would give him. Who is like God? That's what his name declares. No one is like God, his name shouts. And he always appears in the Bible in relation to the Hebrew people. In the book of Daniel, he's called the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. He's guarding the nation Israel today. Most Jews today are in unbelief. But there's coming a day when the Jewish people are going to repent. The Scripture says by the prophet Zechariah, they will look on him whom they have pierced. They're going to call Yeshua Lord. And so here's Michael who guards over the people of Israel. We were there last week, and in the middle of the night, we heard a sonic boom, and later to find out that they dispatched one of the F-35s that our nation gave them and blew that missile right out of the sky. And I'm sure Michael was there helping them too, helping them aim that thing. There's an unseen conflict that is going on in the heavenly places. Hold your finger here. Go to Daniel 10. And I want you to see this unseen conflict that is at work. Daniel 10, look at verse 10. Then behold, a hand touched me. He's describing an angel in the context who is unnamed. Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. 
He said to me, oh, Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I came in response to your words. Prayer, by the way, is a form of humbling. I hope this week you humbled yourself before God. I hope maybe your day started in humility, in prayer. And so the Bible tells us that here is Daniel earnestly, humbly, seeking God by prayer and by sacrifice for three entire weeks. And the moment he uttered his prayer, the Bible says it was heard. Isaiah 65 says, it will come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Our prayers travel faster than the speed of light. And even before we can get them out of our mouths, God hears them. But in this particular case, it took three weeks for God to answer the prayer. Now, there are different reasons given into the Bible why God sometimes delays the answer to a prayer. Sometimes we ask amiss. And God withholds the answer to give us time to see that what we're asking for is really not part of his plan and his will for our life. Sometimes it takes time because God uses natural means in which to answer the prayer. So remember the Shunammite woman who came to Elisha and he said, one year from now, you'll have a baby. It took some time for that prayer to be answered. Or sometimes the spiritual conditions aren't right in our heart. The prayer request is good, but God can't give it because of other issues he wants us first to address. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. For your sin, Isaiah said, has made a separation between you and your God so that he does not hear. So it's a reminder to me that God's denials... God's delays are not always his denials. He has reasons sometimes. But what is given here in Daniel chapter 10 is unique. Uh, The Lord Jesus taught us to persevere in prayer. And I hope you persevere in prayer. Don't give up. Keep praying. Don't quit. But God had a reason on this occasion, though Daniel is persevering as to why he didn't immediately answer. Look at verse 13 of chapter 10. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left with the kings of Persia. The context, he's not dealing obviously about human princes, but angelic princes, one of whom we've already identified, Michael, the great archangel. So Daniel had asked God for his help, and God on this occasion realizes that he needs to give direct revelation, and he's going to give direct revelation through one of his holy angels, Michael. But on the way, Michael experiences this spiritual conflict, this holy angel with an evil angel for the course of 21 days. And it's a reminder to me that the Bible teaches there's an unseen war that is going on in the spirit places, that our real struggle is not against flesh and blood, that the real battle is spiritual. For our struggle, Paul says, is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and rulers and principalities and world forces that are at work in the, in the heavenly realm. So here's Daniel praying for three weeks. And I should say parenthetically, 
because some of my charismatic friends use this, but grossly misapply the text, that this is the biblical justification for us to go around and bind territorial demons. And so they cast demons out of every potted plant and go around and cast demons out of different neighborhoods. We're never commanded anywhere in the Word of God to do that. Our power is not in ourselves. Our power is in the preached Word of God. It is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. Nowhere are we called to name demons or demonic territories and to bind those territories. But you see, that's exciting. That's what people thrive on, the flesh. They love dramatic things, and that amasses a crowd. And yes, it's much more fun to walk around some neighborhood, I suppose, and to cast a demon out of the subdivision to spend three, than to spend three hours in preparation to teach a group of children. We're not told to pray for more angels to come down and to help us, but we are told to pray that God would raise up workers for the harvest. You know, the harvest in Beaufort County is great, but the laborers are still very few. We need to pray that God would give us more laborers, and we need to put some feet to that prayer. What did your labor look like in the last week? Did your labor in the last week in terms of bringing the gospel, was there any labor? Look, it's hypocrisy for me to pray for laborers if I'm not out there in the field trying to labor. But the ultimate battle is unseen. And so we read here, back here in Revelation 12 and verse 7, there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and his angels waged war. Uh, This is truly a battle between equals. The dragon, of course, represents Satan, who is not the counterpart of God because God has no counterpart. But if I suppose there were any angel that would be the counterpart of Satan, it would be Michael. In fact, he's the only angel who's called an archangel and is the only angel in all the Bible, Jude 9, who directly confronts the evil one. And even there, he says, the Lord rebuke you. Satan is given a number of names here, four to be specific, but they really help us to understand who this dragon is. He's called the serpent. He's called the devil. He's called Satan. The dragon, verse 3 calls him the red dragon, and we saw the word red as the word peros that God uses to describe death and murder and blood, and that's what Satan is all about. The thief comes only to kill and to destroy and to steal. You think this kid who went out and pulled out a gun this week in that classroom, a middle school student. I mean, it just seems like we have one a week. I'll tell you, there's evil forces at work. These kids are growing up on these violent video games, and Christian dads are right alongside playing them with them. And we wonder that we can somehow break the law of God and not be broken. And as a nation, we said no to God, and we're in the third stage of Romans 1. God let them go, and with every week that goes by, it seems to get more intense. He's the red dragon. He is a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said. John refers to him in verse 9 as the serpent of old. Old is the word archaikos. We get our word archaic from it. Archaos. He's not changed. John is saying he is that old serpent. 
the one that you saw all the way back in the Garden of Eden thousands of years ago. That old snake in verse 9, he's also called the devil, diabolo. It means to slander, literally. He defames. He's the slanderer. Verse 10 calls him the accuser of the brethren. By the way, every time you hear Satan's voice in the Bible, you hear him slander. You only actually hear Satan speak three times in the Bible. The first time he speaks is in Genesis where he slanders God before man. The second time he speaks is there in heaven where he slanders man before God as he says, Job, he's a joke. He only loves you because you bought him. The third time he speaks, Matthew 4, Luke 4, as he slanders the God word, he undermines the character and purposes of God, but he's also called Satan, Satanos. It means adversary. And so we have a deceiver of the whole world. Notice beyond the participants, the consequence of this battle. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Now, the Bible is clear that while Lucifer has already fallen, he has a new name, Satan, who has limited access to the throne. And you remember that, I hope, from the book of Job, where he comes into the presence of God. But on this occasion, Satan is cast out of heaven forever, and he will never go back. His role is the prince of the power of the air. When is this going to happen? We'll see it. It's already been referenced in the previous verses with the 1260 days, happens right in the middle of the tribulation period. When the devil's man goes in and commits the abomination of desolation there in that rebuilt temple. And by the way, we went to the Temple Institute and they said, phase one is all done. We saw all the architectural plans. We saw the furniture, all the garments. Phase one is all done. They're ready for phase two. And on that day in Jerusalem, Thousands of young people were going through the streets singing, we want to build the temple. We want to build the temple. I taped it. I recorded it. I had to. Well, there's coming a time when that evil antichrist commits the abomination of desolation. And Satan at the same time will be cast to the earth and there'll be double wrath. Not only the wrath of God, but Satan and all of his fallen demons are going to wage havoc on this world like you've never, ever seen. Verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who's called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. This fall is yet in the future. Please note, Satan who deceives the whole world was thrown out of the earth and his angels, that's a third of all the stars. You don't want to be around planet earth in that time and you don't have to be. Finally, notice the victory from the battle. The victory from the battle, we read now in verse 10 and I conclude. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before our God day and night. Now verse 10 tells me that we're being accused. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if even as I preach this morning, the devil is saying, will you look at that Carl Brogy, that scumbag? How can you use him? He is a slanderer. He is an accuser. Day and night, the Bible says. But in the midpoint of the tribulation, God is going to say, Michael, 
The time of accusation is up. Go to war, and the devil and a third of his angels will be cast down to the earth, banished forever from the court of heaven. No more accusations, but he's doing it today. But thank God we have one who prays for us. You ever think about the fact that Jesus is praying for you? Paul says, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, he has died, who is raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who intercedes for us. Look, if, if Jesus is interceding for you, I don't know what that does for you. It does a lot for me. I don't want to fail him. I want to be the answer to his prayer. And so he mocks us. He laughs at us. But Jesus, with his nail-scarred hands, intercedes for us. That's what we sing. Matt led us in that song many a, many a Sunday morning. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me fence depart. How are we going to apply this passage? Number one, let me suggest that you remember today that Satan hates you and he wants to defeat you. He hates you. He hates you. You say, why does he hate me? Because you are his enemy. Why am I his enemy? Because you're made in the image of God. The Bible teaches that only humans are made in the Imago Dei. In fact, we're made higher than the angels. Someday the Bible says we will judge the angels. Now think your way through this. Satan cannot get directly to God. And evil people have always known that if you can't get at someone, then you hurt somebody who that someone loves. And that's why Satan is after you today. When I stood in Bethlehem 10 days ago, I thought about what had taken place. And the babies that were slaughtered there. And Herod had all the babies. Two years and under killed. Why? Because it took about six months for the wise men to get from the east to the house where that young couple was. And he wanted to make sure that every baby was dead. But those were babies made in the image of God. The Canaanite people who were a demon-possessed people killed babies. Pharaoh, an evil fallen man, killed little Hebrew babies or wanted to. Herod had the babies in Bethlehem destroyed. And today, millions, 60 million Americans are missing. 600 million around the world are missing. And yesterday in the streets of Ireland, they were cheering that they now can abort little babies 12 weeks and under legally. Listen, Satan has his reign of terror. And it is so huge that lets you forget that he absolutely hates you, you will yield to some of his work. Secondly, we must recognize 
that he is in the, that in the invisible realm, he is very much at work. See, the problems that we're facing today are not political or social or racial or educational or philosophical. They are spiritual problems. And spiritual problems require spiritual weapons that God has given his people. Luther, I have a love-hate relationship with him, but he was so right when he said, For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. Armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Don't take Satan lightly. You have a cruel enemy. Third and finally, no matter how bad Satan may show himself, in the end, we win. This chart reminds us again of those four stages. We looked at today his fall from heaven, from Isaiah and Ezekiel. Jesus said, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. Then will come his fall to the earth when he's forever excluded out of the heavenly realm. We're going to study later on his fall into the abyss where for a thousand years he'll be locked up. At the end of the thousand years, he'll be shortly released, but then he will fall forever into the lake of fire. And people who don't know Jesus, for there is salvation in no one else, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. People who don't know Jesus will be there right with him for millions and billions of years. Now, God didn't create hell for people. And if you go to hell, it's because you committed the same sin that Satan committed, the sin of pride, a sin of pride that would not allow you to humble your heart before God and to call upon a Savior who loves you. Now, our Holy Father, we thank you today for your word. Thank you for its truth. Help us to hear what you've said. This is not simply what you have said or what you will even do in the future, but this scripture is profitable for every saint today that knows you and loves you. So help us to be more than those who just hear the word. Help us to be those who are willing to obey. Father, I pray today for some dear person within the sound of my voice. Maybe they're listening on the internet or through some radio station, but they are uncertain that heaven is their home and you love them, your son died for them and you have no way to save them but through the blood-stained cross of Jesus. Thank you that whosoever will may come. Thank you that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Help someone, Father, in humility to turn away from their pride to say, Jesus, I cannot be my own Savior. Lord Jesus, save me. And Father, may we who have made that confession be faithful with the best news we can ever share. Help us to be good stewards of the gospel, even in this brand new week, forgetting what lies behind, pressing on to what is before us. Help us this week to love people with the love of Christ, to look for opportunities to win them to your son. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 
To listen again to today's study from Revelation chapter 12 titled, The War in Heaven, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV29. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. For more information, call 877-787-7478. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll look at Israel's great escape. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.